Hello and welcome to What Does the Bible Say? I'm your host, Dr. Wayne Davis, and I'd like to continue this the series we've been talking about, about different verses and chapters in the Bible that make people think that the commandments of God are no longer in effect, or that we who believe in Messiah, saved by faith, don't need to follow the commandments. If you think we're saved by faith, you're absolutely right. There is no other way. You cannot earn your salvation. You cannot buy it. Salvation is by faith. What I want to get across, though, is that what the scripture tells us is that once we are saved by faith, then we walk according to the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God that we call the law, or better in Hebrew, the Torah, out of our love for God. As Jesus himself said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then in 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, it says, what is the love of God? Meaning, how do we show God our love? And it said, we show God our love by keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. But there are scriptures in the New Testament that lead people to think we don't have to keep God's commandments anymore once we get saved. We've talked about many of those over the last few sessions, but today we want to look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 appears to people to say that things like the feasts and festivals and avoiding unclean meats, that those things no longer apply. But let's look and see what does the Bible say. Let's start in Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 because it sets up the scenario that Paul is trying to teach about. It says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Messiah. So Paul's talking about the Gnostics. The Gnostics and the Ereclasi, they were ascetic Gnostics. They taught that a regular person like you or I can become God if we learn certain principles that are taught according to the commandments of men, that we, we can just become God. It's like the Mormons teach. You can be God over your own planet. And Paul says, don't let anyone cheat you, that is, cheat you of your reward, which is eternal life through our Messiah, Yeshua, or Jesus, through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men. In past sessions, we looked at Matthew chapter 15 and Mark chapter 7, which tell us that if your religion is based upon the teaching of the commandments of men, it is vain. It's of no value. God has no use for it. Verse 9 of Colossians 2 goes on to say, For in him that is in Messiah Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Principality and power refer to Satan and his demons. They are in subjection to God. Okay? Then if we come down to verse 16, which is where most preachers start, they start in verse 16 and ignore the first word, which is so. That word so indicates that we are not starting a new topic, we're continuing it. So we have to look back at verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, Satan didn't prevail, Messiah defeated Satan. Some people read it as though Messiah defeated God. 
No, Messiah defeated Satan and his angelic powers, the demons. So having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So, the so means because Messiah defeated Satan, let no one judge you in food or in drink regarding a festival or a new moon or sabbath, or sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Messiah. People point to this verse and say, see, we don't have to keep the food laws. We don't have to keep the festivals. We don't have to keep the Sabbath. It says so right here. But actually, it's just the opposite. He's talking to those Gentiles who've been saved out of Gnosticism. Their friends and families want them to renounce Messiah and the things that teach of Messiah and come back to ascetic Gnosticism where they try and obtain Godhead status by working up through special knowledges with the help of angelic hosts that they call aeons. So it actually is, let no one judge you for keeping the food or drink laws for keeping the festivals, the news, and the Sabbaths. Why would we want to do those? They are a shadow of things to come, which means they teach about the first and second comings of Messiah. They're prophetic. They teach us about him. It says, but the substances of Messiah, that is, they point to and lead us to Messiah. So looking at the festivals of Leviticus chapter 23, the first one's Passover. Messiah died at Passover. Then's unleavened bread. He was buried at unleavened bread. Then comes the Feast of First Fruits. He was raised from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. The next one is called Shavuot or Pentecost. That's when in Acts chapter 2 the Holy Spirit came and entered the believers. So the first four of those feasts or festivals teaches us the first coming of Messiah. But there's three more to be fulfilled. One teaches the rapture and the resurrection of the believers. Second, Messiah's second coming for the battle of Armageddon and the sheep and goats judgment. And the third is his establishment of the messianic kingdom on earth. So they are a shadow of things to come. They teach us about Messiah. He is clean. He is without sin. He will be our ruling monarch, our king here on earth, king of kings and lord of lords. How do we know that's what this is saying? Let's keep reading says verse 18, let no one cheat you of your reward. Remember what we saw in verse 8 and 9, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. That's not talking about God's commandments. That's talking about ascetic Gnosticism. False humility. In ascetic Gnosticism, you must deny yourself all earthly pleasures and worship of angels, those angelic hosts that they call aeons that help them on their journey to Godhead. It goes on in verse 18 to say, Intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. That's where Gnosticism, the word comes from, is from the mind. Verse 19 says, And not holding fast to the head, the head, by the way, is Messiah, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So don't let people take you away from these things that teach about Messiah to keep you from holding fast to the head which is Messiah and take you back to those man-made rules and regulations of ascetic Gnosticism. Their rules were called 
the basic principles of the world. So we see in verse 20, Therefore, if you died with Messiah from the basic principles of the world, that's not the law, that's those man-made rules and regulations, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations, not God's commandments, but the man-made regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So ascetic Gnosticism says if you enjoy a good T-bone steak, you can't have it. If you like a bowl of ice cream, you cannot have it. Anything that brings earthly pleasure must be avoided if you're going to attain godhood. So this is all about, don't let them take away the things that teach of Messiah and take you back to the basic principles of the world that have no value. In fact, Paul says exactly that in verse 23. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. See, the self-imposed religion is not referring to God's commandments. It's referring to man-made rules and regulations that Matthew 15 and Mark 7 say are vanity. You cannot worship God that way. So do not let people take away from you the things that teach of Messiah to take you to man-made rules and regulations. In modern applications, God said, remember the Sabbath day. And at the Council of Laodicea in Canon 29, the Pope said, Don't you dare keep God's Sabbath. You must do Sunday instead. Don't you dare avoid unclean foods. You have to eat pigs. Don't you dare keep the Passover. You've got to do Easter. That's at the Council of Nicaea. If you read the book Ecclesiastical History by Pamphilus Eusebius, in the appendices, they've got the letter from Constantine, that changes from Passover to Easter. And I don't know, you may not realize it, but sometimes Passover when Messiah died and Easter, which was a pagan holiday, are a month apart. So when you're celebrating the death, burial, and resurrection of Messiah on a pagan holiday a month late, you can't think that God would be pleased. Does God change? Well, let's go back and look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. You've got to ask yourself, is God a liar? God himself says in, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. If God doesn't change, does his word change? Is he a liar? Does he tell us something will be forever and then change his mind? No. Let's go back and look at Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son a man that he should repent. That word repent means to change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? So the point for the prophet there is that God doesn't change. When God gives a commandment, it's forever. He will not break it. He will not change it. He will not annul it. We read the same thing in Psalm 89, verse 34, where God says, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. If God utters a commandment, he will not change it. Remember what Messiah himself said in Matthew 4, 4, 
Man does not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If God speaks a word, you can believe it. You can take it to the bank. He's not going to break it. He's not going to change it. He's not going to null it. Those things simply don't happen. What did the Lord say in Psalm 119 verse 89? It says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Which means the word of God does not change. It never has. It never will. He goes on to say in Psalm 119 verse 126, It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. Which means whenever somebody decides that the law is void, they are in danger of God's judgment. It will be a sad day on Judgment Day when we stand before the Lord and try to explain to Him that we did not keep His commandments because somebody told us not to. It'll be even sadder if we believed we were supposed to break God's co commandments because of what the New Testament says. Remember, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter warns us that Paul can be hard to understand and you can misread Paul to your own destruction. That is, you can think you're following what Paul said, but you're not understanding him correctly, and you will lead yourself straight to the lake of fire. For instance, in Romans chapter 10, verse 4, where most people say it says that Christ is the end of the law, that word end in Greek is telos, and it means the goal or purpose. So Christ is the goal of the law, or the purpose of the law. It doesn't mean he brought it to an end. So you can misread that which Paul wrote and think, ah, he ended the law. It doesn't apply to us anymore. We can go out and live in sin and God will love it. Now remember last time we talked about Matthew chapter 7 verse 23. Where Messiah says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, anomia. That is that which is contrary to the commandments of God. In other words, if you're walking in sin, you're not on the road to heaven. So in Psalm 119, verse 126, we read, It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your law as void. And in Psalm 119, verse 142, it says, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, which means it does not change. Says in your law, the very Hebrew word there is Torah, God's commandments, statutes, and judgments. Your law is truth. All throughout the New Testament, we keep saying the word truth. Messiah is the truth. The law is the truth. Can they be in conflict? The answer is no. If they both are the truth, they must agree. One of the verses that early on in my walk caught my eye that made me think what I had learned in my Baptist church might not have been correct is it says in the book of Proverbs chapter 28 verse 9, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, that's the Torah, God's commandments, statutes, and judgments, even his prayer is an abomination, which means it's an affront to the very nature of God. If you will not hear his commandments for you to pray to him and ask for his blessing. 
Will God bless the one who's walking in outright disobedience? The answer is no. That's what it is right here. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Now people say, Wayne, but that's Old Testament. I don't read that. Well, then read the book of John. Book of John, chapter 9, verse 31. Book of John, chapter 9, verse 31. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if, his, if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, that is, keeps his commandments, he hears him. So it says, now we know that God does not hear sinners. What's sin? 1 John 3, 4, sin is lawlessness. Anomia, sin is breaking God's commandments. So whether you're reading in Proverbs or whether you're reading in John, the Bible says if you are walking in sin, then God is not hearing your prayers. Boy, that raised the hair on the back of my neck when I read that the first time. Certainly is food for thought. If we go on to John 17, verse 3, it says, And this is eternal life. How many of you out there listening to me today want eternal life? If you do, then read carefully. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Yeshua the Messiah whom you have sent. Now John, he was one of the apostles. And he was the one that outlived all the rest. Peter and Paul, they died in the 60s of the common era, or 60s AD, around 65 or so. John writes his writings 30 years later, when the church is starting to go off the rails. When Revelation chapter 2 tells us that there are people coming into the church that are called what? Can you think of the word? They teach a doctrine of antinomianism. They're called Nicolaitans. Most people just skip over that word Nicolaitans because they don't know who they were. Their doctrine was antinomianism. Antinomianism is the doctrine that when Messiah was crucified, buried, and resurrected, we no longer were required to follow God's commandments. And he says in Revelation 2, he hates their deeds and he hates their doctrine. If God hates the doctrine that the commandments have no longer any applicability to us, then whenever a preacher teaches us that the commandments have been done away with, or however they phrase it, we should all remember these verses. So again, John 17, 3, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Yeshua the Messiah, or Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John didn't stop there. In 1 John chapter 2, he gave us a test that we can apply to ourselves before we come to Judgment Day, to say, do we know him or don't we? Or in other words, do we have eternal life or do we not have eternal life? In the online Bible that I'm using from Bible Gateway, this whole section of 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6, is titled, The Test of Knowing Him. And that's exactly what it is. When John, in chapter 17, verse 3, said eternal life is to know him, 
then people were asking, well, how do we know if we know him or don't we? And it says in, uh, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. That is terrifying, folks. The scripture says all liars have their place in the lake of fire. So to say, I know God, and to not keep God's commandments, it says in black and white here, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Verse 5 says, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. How did Messiah walk? In John chapter 15 it says he kept the commandments of God. And that he abided in God's love by keeping those commandments. And he tells us that we are to keep God's commandments to abide in his love. Again, Messiah himself said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And he says in that same chapter, and the words that you hear are not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So he didn't come to do away with God's commandments. Remember, we studied last time Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 19. Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, nor the smallest piece of a letter will pass from the law, from God's commandments. Are heaven and earth still here? They are. If you don't believe it, stand up and jump up and down for a minute. Heaven and earth don't pass away until the end of Revelation. Speaking of Revelation, let's look at Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 to 14. As you know, Revelation chapter 22 is the last chapter of the last book in the Bible. Kind of like, here's the last word. Verse 12, it says, And behold, I am coming quickly, that I is Messiah. Talking about his return. People, unfortunately, read this and say, Behold, I am coming soon. It doesn't say soon, it says quickly. It means once the second coming begins, it unfolds rapidly. It says, And my reward is with me. We know about the rewards. They're the white robes and the crowns. My reward is with me to give to everyone according to what? According to his work. That is, did we keep the commandments or didn't we? Then he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, but that's Greek. If you look, Hebrew was the original language to Revelation. You can see that several ways. One, the use of the word comma saying, which means what follows is a quote. That's a Hebrew construct. And in Revelation 10, it says his feet were like pillars. Feet are not like pillars. Legs are like pillars. But in Hebrew, there's one word for the toes to the knee, and that's regel. But in Greek, there's two different words for foot and leg. And when they translated to Greek, they just used the wrong one. And then in Revelation chapter 19, they have to transliterate the word hallelujah repeatedly. So they take the Hebrew word hallelujah and they use Greek letters to come as close to making those sounds as possible. It's not a translation, it's a transliteration, which is something you only do when you're translating a portion of scripture from Hebrew to Greek. That's when you would transliterate a Hebrew word 
especially over and over. And then says, on the beginning and the end, the first and the last, which takes us back to Isaiah 41. Those are words that are spoken by the Lord. Back there again, the Lord our God. This is Messiah here speaking, saying, I am the Lord our God, the Lord all the way through the Old Testament. That's me. Then in verse 14, unless you have a Bible translated from a corrupt Greek text called the Westcott Hort, it says, blessed are those who do his commandments. If you have an NIV or a corrupt Bible like that, it's not that the translators to English were bad, but they're translating from a bad Greek text based upon the Textus Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, those two codexes. Then yours will say, blessed are those who wash their robes. Those two codexes were, shall we say, adulterated by Jesuits to try and keep us from understanding how important it is to follow God's commandments. That's a whole other line of, of discussion. And I just recommend you go to YouTube and watch the Lamp in the Dark Volume 3 called Bridges to Babylon, which explains how the Westcott Hort Greek text was developed and why it is not the reliable text that the received text is when the received text is the one that says, blessed are those who do his commandments. And it goes on to say that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through gates into the city. My Baptist commentary throws up all over that verse and says, this verse is wrong. It teaches salvation by faith. I'm sorry, they say it teaches salvation by works. It does not. Salvation is by faith. There is no other way. But if you love the Lord, if you're saved by faith, you will keep his commandments. That's what this is telling us. Verse 15 says, But outside are dogs and sorcerers. Dogs refer to male homosexuals. Sorcerers, the Greek word is pharmakia, it's drug abuse. And sexually immoral, that's everything from fornication, sex before marriage, adultery, sex outside of marriage, and homosexuality, all those sexual sins, and murders and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Verse 15 says, those kind of sins keep you out of heaven. Oh, is that the only place in scripture we find that breaking these kinds of commandments keeps you from going to heaven? No, it's all over the New Testament. For instance, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and following, written by the Apostle Paul. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous, another word for unrighteous is lawless, those that are breaking God's commandments, will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. When he says do not be deceived, he means there are going to be preachers out there that will deceive you. That will tell you that if you made a profession of faith, you now can walk in sin and it's okay with God. The scripture says otherwise. So do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that's sex before marriage, nor idolaters, those who worship and follow and obey those that are not God nor adulterers, sex with somebody else's wife, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And he's talking to the believers at the church at Corinth, which in 1 Corinthians 12, 2, it says, you know that you were Gentiles. He's not talking to Jews. He's talking about Gentiles that have been saved by faith. 
And he says, don't think you can walk in sin and inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11 says, such were some of you, were before you got saved. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. In other words, you repented when you got saved. You don't walk in that kind of sin anymore. We could go to Galatians. There's many of these lists in the New Testament that say, if you're walking in sin, you're on the road to the lake of fire. You're not on the road to heaven. Remember Romans chapter 6, verse 16, which says the one that you serve, the one that you obey, that's the one whose servant you are. You either obey the commandments of God and you are his servant, or you obey the commandments of man, and you are man's servant. Being the servant of man is not on the road to eternity. Well, I guess it is to eternity, but it's to the lake of fire, not to the eternity that you want. If you want more information on any of these topics, just go to john1415.org. And there you will find commentary on every book of the Bible where I go chapter by chapter, verse by verse to say, what does the Bible say? God bless you one and all.